And looking to the words of the Apostle Peter, preserved for us in 2 Peter 1, 16 through 21, I want to preach on the subject of experiences. Experiences. 2 Peter 1, beginning in verse 16, Peter writes under the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For He received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to Him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. In this voice which came from heaven we heard, When we were with him in the holy mount, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. If you were present last Lord's Day morning, you will remember that in this portion of Scripture, the Apostle Peter is seeking to establish two credible truths regarding why the Christian faith is not a cunningly devised fable as some would assert it to be. And the first truth Peter wants us to consider is his own experience as well as the experiences of others. Beginning in verse 16, Peter contends that despite what others may accuse him of believing, despite what Peter has been declaring to his hearers in this epistle about the Lord Jesus Christ, it most certainly is not a fable. Peter says, for we, the other apostles and I, are not followers of a legendary myth, but a real living person. The truths that we are declaring in your ears concerning what Jesus can do for sinners through his death and resurrection is factual, not fictional. For we, Peter says, the other apostles and I, were personal witnesses of Jesus' majesty. In so many words, Peter is saying, others can indict me with believing a lie if they want, but I have evidence after evidence, testimony after testimony that solidifies that what I am telling you about the Lord Jesus Christ is not a man-made tale. And my first testimony, Peter says, is me. You want to know why I believe Christ is real? You want to know what evidence I have to prove that Christianity is not a manufactured story? Well, Peter says in our text, I was personally chosen by Jesus to be his disciple. I learned from him for three years. I talked with him. I touched him. I saw him perform dozens of miracles that only God can do. Peter could say, I I could tell you of dozens of occasions in which Jesus healed the sick. He caused the blind to see, 
the deaf to hear and the dead to live again. You want proof that what I am telling you is not a fable? Call James. Call John. Call them to the stand and cross-examine their testimony. They saw the same things that I did during the three years with Christ. They witnessed the unique glory that shined through Jesus' humanity on the mount. If you won't believe me, believe them, Peter is saying. Now they heard the audible voice of the Father, verbally affirming what we already believe, namely that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. You want testimony? You want proof? Well, you have me and my experience, and you have James and John and their experience. Now let's pause here for a moment and summarize Peter's words. There are many in this world who believe that the claims of Christ are illogical and inaccurate. There are many doubters and skeptics who allege that Christianity is just one big hoax. And to disprove such notions, Peter says, well, I can personally provide testimony to the fact that Jesus is who he claims to be. The other apostles can provide testimony to the fact that what I am telling you about Jesus is true. In fact, there are hundreds of others who saw Jesus perform miracles that only God can do. And there were over 500 that Jesus appeared to at once after he resurrected from the dead. You want testimony? You want evidence? You want proof that what I am telling you is valid? Well, let's continue. I could go on and tell you of the miracles that took place on the day of Pentecost in fulfillment to Old Testament Scripture. You want evidence? You want proof? Peter could say, I could tell you of the time that I was in jail waiting to be executed. And God sent an angel to lead me past the highest security level within a jail, which caused even the church who was praying for me to be surprised at what God did. You want proof? You want evidence? You want testimony? Well, the other apostles and I could tell you of so many wonderful stories, so many miraculous instances, so many amazing, unbelievable experiences that only confirm that Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior of the world. So the first foundational truth recorded for us in our text are the experiences that Peter and others had. And these experiences provide credible testimony to the fact that Jesus is who he claims to be. The second foundational truth recorded for us in our text is the fact that Peter wants his readers to understand that the Holy Scriptures, God's inspired, preserved, written, authoritative word is far more reliable than personal experiences. Verse 19, Peter says, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed 
as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts. Well, what's this sure word? He goes on. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. In other words, the Bible is not any man's own personal word. Uh, Nothing has been spoken in the word from a person's own knowledge or invention. Nothing is the result of man's calculation or conjecture. Peter goes on and says, For the prophecy of Scripture came not in old time by the will of man. Man did not wake up one morning and say, I think I'll be an author of Scripture and I'll write what I want, how I want. No, the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God who were chosen by God spake, they wrote what God wanted them to write as they were moved by God Himself, as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So Peter is saying, in the collection of books we call the Scriptures, in the collection of books we call the Bible, we have a more reliable witness than man. In the Scriptures, we have the divinely inspired witness of Almighty God Himself. God has supernaturally inspired men to record exactly what He wanted so that we might come to understand that the testimonies of men are true and reliable. So what Peter is essentially saying is this. If you won't believe my testimony, if you won't believe the testimony of others, believe God's Word. God's written word is God's voice. The Old Testament and the New Testament are God's two lips through which He speaks to us. God's written word is God's revealed will. God's written word contains prophecy after prophecy that have been perfectly fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And God's word will confirm that what I am telling you is 100% true. So Peter could say, you want evidence? You want proof? You want testimony? Well, let's add layer upon layer. I can tell you what I have personally experienced. The apostles can tell you what they personally have experienced. The hundreds and thousands of people who are not apostles, can confirm that what we are telling you is true through their experiences. And then, I have the Scriptures, the witness of God Himself, that will only confirm that what others have seen, heard, and experienced are perfectly consistent one with another. And I love this point. In verses 19 through 21, Peter is saying, Don't trust me, trust God's word. If you won't believe our word, believe God's word. The written prophecies that are spoken and fulfilled in Scripture about Jesus are far more reliable than the experiences and testimonies of others. Peter is saying, Let God be true and every man a liar. You would do well to take 
heed, Peter says, in light of this. You would do well to listen to God's word. You would do well to put the scriptures to the test. If you won't believe me, then answer me this question. How do you account for the fact that the Bible is scientifically and historically accurate? How do you explain the fact that the Bible hath withstood the test of time and provides us with sufficient answers of how the earth was created why there is sin in this world, why there is death in this world, and what hope there is for man after death. Here in the Scriptures, in the Bible, we have 66 books written in three different languages, written by 40 authors spanning three continents over a period of 1,500 years, with each book presenting messages that fit together flawlessly. Of the hundreds of prophecies that were predicted hundreds of years beforehand by different authors regarding the person of Christ, Jesus fulfilled them all in pinpoint detail. A myth? You want to accuse Christianity of being a myth? Come on. You have to do better than that. You have to be a little bit more sensible than that. Of all the beliefs and religions in this world, Christianity has more credible evidence to support its belief than anything else. The Christian faith, listen, despite what others may say, is not a blind faith. It is a faith that is based on reliable truths, credible testimonies, and solid evidence that has been proven to be factual not fictional. So in verses 16 through 21 of 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter wants us to recognize first that he and the others have been personal eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ. And second, that the truths of God's word are far more reliable than any experiences any of them have had. And these are the two truths that Peter is establishing on our mind. Experiences are real. We were there, we saw, we heard, and our experiences can be solidified by what we read in Scripture. Peter is establishing these two truths here in chapter 1 before he warns of false teachers in chapter 2 who will try to discredit the sufficiency of God's Word. We need to make sure that we understand that chapter 1 connects with chapter 2. Peter is laying down the authority of God's holy Word because there are false prophets who would come into the Christian community and lead others astray from the truths of God's Word through experiences. So it's vital that Christians be rooted and grounded in truth so that when false prophets come with a false message, we know, thus saith the Lord. But in our time together this morning, the one thing I want us to zero in on from Peter's words is his declaration that the written word of God trumps any experience we may have. Though Peter saw miraculous things with his own eyes, 
Though Peter heard phenomenal things with his own ears, though Peter experienced various wonders which caused him to feel certain things, Peter concludes that the Scriptures are a more prophetic word. Peter is saying that experiences are subjective. God's word is objective. And by this I mean that experiences are rooted in man's feelings, man's opinions, man's perceptions, but God's word is rooted in God. Even if the experiences of men are real experiences, there's no tangible proof that can confirm that what we are saying is true Because anyone can say anything about anything. Anyone can have too much pepperoni pizza and have an experience. Right? Anyone can say, I saw, I felt, I heard, I dreamed, I experienced. Therefore, my experience is true. No. Experiences are subjective. But God's Word, on the other hand, is objective in that it contains Verifiable facts spoken by God Himself that are perfectly consistent and do not change. Experiences are subjective. God's Word is objective. The written Word of God is more authoritative than our experiences. Now, why do I stress this point? I stress this point because there are many Many who have had various experiences, and we need to know how to respond to them in a biblical way. There are many people among the Christian community, perhaps some here this morning, who would sincerely testify to the fact that they have seen certain things, they have heard certain things, they have felt certain things, they have experienced certain things. There are many professing Christians who claim to have had various dreams. There are some who contend that they have had various revelations, near-death experiences, and feelings through which they believe that God spoke to them. I've heard dozens of people say that God appeared to me in this way. God appeared to me in that way. I saw a light. I saw a cloud. I was sick, and this happened. I was in a dark place, and this happened. In fact, there are many well-meaning people who will base the will of God for their life upon their feelings and experiences alone. They say something like this, I just feel that God wants me to move here and do this. Or, this happened in my life, and because this happened in my life, based upon this experience, it must certainly mean that this is what God wants me to do. We need to understand all of us, to one degree or another, can relate to this because all of us, to one degree or another, have had various experiences and feelings. So my question is, what are we to do with them? How are we to interpret them and respond to them biblically? What are we to think when others passionately believe that their experience was real and was the way in which God spoke to them? Let me give you five Biblically fashioned truths that I hope will provide answer to these questions for us. If you're taking notes, truth number one is this. We must never deny the fact that some people will have 
inexplainable experiences for various reasons. Let's start there. We must never deny the fact that some people will have inexplainable experiences for various reasons. Now, sub-point A in this point, from a biblical standpoint, we cannot deny the fact that it has pleased God to reveal Himself to others through miraculous instances. We cannot deny the fact that the Bible is full of people who've had experiences and unique experiences. Abraham heard the voice of God, leave Ur of Chaldees, go to a place that I will show thee. Jacob had a moving dream. Jacob wrestled with the angel of God. That was an experience. Moses saw a burning bush. Moses witnessed putting his hand into his shirt and his hand becoming leprous and then putting his hand back in his shirt and his hand becoming normal. Israel saw the pillars of fire and the pillar of cloud leading them along the way. Israel saw manna fall from heaven. As we read the prophets, we read that the prophets had their own unique experiences. Various kings had their unique experiences. Peter, James, John, the apostles had their unique experiences. Those who were physically healed by Jesus and were eyewitnesses of the mighty miracles of Jesus had their unique experiences. The apostle Paul had his unique experiences. John, in the writing of the Revelation, had a unique experience. So from the biblical standpoint, we cannot deny the fact that before the canon of Scripture was closed, God chose to reveal Himself to others through miraculous experiences. And then even from a historical Christian perspective, we cannot deny the fact that there have been many people who have had various experiences that they believe was sent from God. I think of George Mueller of Bristol, that great man of prayer, that great man of faith who had experience after experience witnessing God answer his prayer in a very unique ways. I mean, they were supernatural. It was undeniable that God was answering his prayer. Overseeing an orphanage, he would pray that somehow food would be delivered. They had no food in the cabinets at all. And God disturbed the baker and the baker was prompted of the Lord to bring food to the orphanage at just the right time. That's an experience. And George Mueller would say, I can experience that God brought this to pass. And I think of various stories of Christian missionaries throughout the years, detailing of God's miraculous provisions God's gracious protecting of them, various promptings of their hearts that led them to reach others for Christ in very dangerous situations. They've had their experiences. So whether you agree with them or not, there have been many people among the Christian community that have had unique experiences. And then in our trying to make sense of interpreting the experiences some people have, from the words of Ephesians 6.12, we should not be shocked and surprised that people have various experiences that are real to them because we are in a spiritual war. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 6.12. Paul says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, 
against spiritual wickedness in high places. You want to talk experiences? Paul also reminds us that Satan has the ability to transform himself into an angel of light. We want to try to make sense of experiences that people have. Satan is doing everything he can to mimic and imitate the works of God so that he will distract and destroy. Satan can cause various experiences to take place so that he can unsettle the hearts of others. And with Satan being the god of this world, small g, the prince of the power of the air, who would deny that he is going to cause people to see things, hear things, feel things that relate to his kingdom through every possible method he can? Think about it, church. When people start listening to music that unashamedly associates with the devil, what do you think will happen? When people start finding satisfaction in alcoholic beverages that are called spirits, what do you think will happen? When people start altering their minds through drugs, when people start dipping into the occult, playing board games that profess you can enter into another world. We should not be surprised that they see lights and demons, that they experience strange dreams and hear strange sounds and voices. I'm telling you, Bible. Did we not just read in our scripture reading, Jesus casting out demons and doing so often? Well, that was then, this is now. We are more civilized. Wake up. Listen, I'm convinced that in our new age, Hindu-saturated, heathen, drug and alcohol infatuated nation that we live in, we're going to hear accounts of experiences more and more. You need to know how to respond to it. And even among, quote, Christian churches, most churches today are nothing more than mysticism camouflaged as Christianity. There are so many pastors, so-called pastors, who are wolves influenced and possessed by Satan who have been satanically transformed as ministers of righteousness. You think what I'm saying is only for the people in Africa near the witch doctor? Think again. We are living in a nation flooded, flooded with satanic influences, and you don't even know it. We have palm readers across the street from the highway. And listen, whether the experiences are agreeable to you, most of the time you are not going to shake people from believing that their experience is true and real. So the first truth we need to establish is the fact that we must never deny the fact that some people will have inexplainable experiences for various reasons. Are you with me this morning? All right. Now, the second truth we need to establish is the fact that our personal beliefs about God and our life decisions must be exclusively influenced by the truths of God's Word, not our experiences. Let me say it again. 
our personal beliefs about God and Scripture and Jesus and life must be exclusively influenced by the written Word of God, not our experiences. Now, don't forget, experiences are subjective. God's Word is objective. Somebody might have an experience over here that tells you one thing about one thing. Another person might have an experience over there and have a same experience but declare different truths. So who's true? You have changing experiences dependent upon man, but God's Word is true. God's Word is eternal. God's Word is fact. And this is exactly what Peter, who had hundreds of experiences, is emphasizing in 2 Peter chapter 1. Remember, he says, don't believe my experiences. We have a more sure word of prophecy. Believe God's word. And listen, I can tell you in my time of being pastor, I have heard the most outrageous things that people have experienced in the name of God. Pastor, I had a dream. And God told me that the earth is flat. You're laughing, but... People will look you in the eye and and mean it. Pastor, I feel God is more like energy than a person. I'm thinking of a young man who sat in my office trying to declare me that nonsense. Pastor, I believe God sent me the other day behind my barn and I, I saw a snake come out of the barn and he sent the snake to teach me this lesson because the snake symbolizes this. Pastor, I just know, I just know, Pastor, all these are true, that God wants me to go to the gentleman's club so I can date the prostitute so I can try to win her to the Lord. Pastor, I just feel that God wants me to move across country where there's no family, no church, no real reason for me to move there. Pastor, I feel that God wants me to become a pastor. Even though I'm not biblically qualified, I don't have the gifts, and I don't want to be faithful to church. I just feel I had a dream. I'm sensing. I believe. I think. Listen, if Peter is teaching us one truth about experiences, he is teaching us that anything that encourages us to doubt, deny, or question the authority and sufficiency of God's word is not of God. If they speak not according to thy word, God has not sent them. That's even Old Testament truth. The prophets who prophesied were preachers of the word. It needed to be confirmed by the word. Otherwise, they were false prophets. So don't trust experiences. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him through his word, and he shall direct thy paths. Whoso trusteth in his heart is a fool. There's a Disney motto for you. Disney, yeah. They say, trust your heart. Follow your conscience. You trust your heart, you're going to end up in places that you regret. Don't trust your heart. This is a great Valentine's message. I didn't even have it planned. (laughs) Don't trust your heart. Don't trust your feelings. Trust the Lord. Trust his word. Our personal beliefs about God must be exclusively influenced by the truths of God's Word. Third point. Any experience that contradicts 
The truth of God's written word must be discarded at once. Any emotionally charged New York best-selling Times book pushing the experience of a four-year-old, namely heaven is for real, that contradicts the plain truth of Scripture needs to be cast aside. Any well-made Hollywood production highlighting the supernatural experiences of others that do not line up with the truths of God's Word need to be distrusted. I have some problems with the chosen because of this. Any so-called revivals, any so-called prophecies spoken by so-called men of God, any dreams, any supposed word from the Lord that belittles, contradicts, and disagree with the written word of God needs to be rejected immediately. Why? Because the experiences of men will never contradict the written word of God. We have a more sure word of prophecy. And by the way, If you know something about Satan, the enemy of God, the enemy of our souls, this is precisely how he attacks. He always attacks by questioning the authority and sufficiency of God's word. And we're going to see this more and more in the end times. Jesus says, in the end, there will be a growing number of false Christs who appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if it were possible. I'm warning you. Some of you are persuaded that we're coming to the end and we're coming to the end fast. Will, keep your nose in the book so you are not deceived, so you are not misled by the enemy. Any experience that contradicts the truths of Scripture must be discarded. Truth number four. Any experience that causes people to boast in their experiences or themselves is not of God. Nobody wants to talk about this either. Anyone making millions of dollars off of others telling of their mystical experiences in the name of the Lord is a charlatan. Anyone speaking in the name of the Lord trying to become a celebrity puffing out their chest, thinking themselves to be a hot shot because one time they saw, one time they heard, one time they had a dream, one time they had an experience, is trouble with a capital T. Now, how do I know this to be true? I know this to be true because the Bible says, God resisteth the proud but gives grace to the humble. And because the experiences that Peter and Paul had, never, they never caused them to think more highly than they ought to think. Let's take Peter, for example. Peter had various experiences, probably more than anybody else. And what did his experiences lead him to do? Think about it. Think about it. Here it is. It led him to preach the Word, the written Word. It led him to preach Christ as the only hope for this world. You see, at Pentecost... At Pentecost, Peter did not stand up boldly and preach his experiences. He preached, today, Scripture is fulfilled in your ears. 
Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of biblical prophecy. In John chapter 4, Peter preached Christ. Why? Because Jesus sent him into the world to preach the gospel, not himself. It's the gospel that's the power of God unto salvation, not personal experiences. Now take Paul, okay? Peter's one person, all right? Take Paul and his experience in first, or 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Did Paul have an experience? Oh, a mighty moving one. Paul was taken to the third heaven. Did he write a book entitled Heaven is for Real? Was, was he hopping from interview to interview on Good Morning America, or should I say Good Morning Israel? No. Paul tells us he could not speak of it. Not only that, but Paul says, I would rather glory in my infirmities than my natural, supernatural experiences. Because when I am weak, then am I strong. Any experience that causes people to boast in their experiences, I'm far more spiritual than you are because I've had these experiences. Any person that boasts in themselves more than Christ, even though they may even say Christ, is not of God. That's the fourth truth that we need to understand about experiences. And then finally, most importantly, the fifth truth that we need to solidify on our hearts and minds is the biblical truth that we must never encourage others to depend upon their experiences as the source of their salvation. If you get no other point except this point, get this point. We must never encourage others to depend upon their experiences as the source of their salvation. There are many well-meaning people who will earnestly look you in the eye and tell you that they know that they are Christian because one time they felt something one time they saw something, one time they heard something, one time they experienced something. In my asking people to tell me their testimony of conversion, there have been many instances where others have responded by saying, well, I had this dream. I had this dream that I went to hell and it scared me, therefore I'm Christian. God appeared to me in a light. I was three years old. I just saw a light in my nightlight. And I just knew it must have been the Lord. Therefore, I'm saved. Well, during a very difficult time in my life, I just felt this compassionate touch on my arm. And I just knew it had to be the Lord. Well, I was dying of cancer and I was healed. I was at war and I survived. God protected me from a car accident. And so I just felt God has been with me ever since. And that's their testimony. That's all their testimony. They believe they are Christian because they've had some sort of unique experience. Now, I want to be extremely careful in answering this because I don't want to poke fun of the real experiences others have. But let me just make sure that we understand that while there may be circumstances that lead to salvation, circumstances in and of themselves are not the thing that make people Christian. It was not Peter's experiences that made him Christian. We are born again, Peter says, 1 Peter chapter 1, 
not by our feelings and experiences, but by the incorruptible word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Paul says to Timothy, it's the scriptures that make us wise unto salvation. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Do you see the emphasis of the word? And to confirm my point, just think of the written record of Paul's testimony of salvation. Think of it. Did Saul of Tarsus have an experience on the road to Damascus? Absolutely. He saw a bright light. God humbled him off his high horse, threw him to the ground. In that, Saul heard a voice. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who art thou, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And then blind for three days. Experience, experience, experience. But was it his experience that saved him? No. No. It wasn't his experience that saved him. It was the resurrected Christ that saved him. Get it. There's a difference. Now, how do we know this? We know this because Paul says in the written word, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. After his conversion, Paul straightway preached that Jesus was the Christ. His testimony included telling the lost of their sinful condition and of his sinful condition, his rebellion, his need to repent and believe on Jesus' name Paul believed that he was a great sinner in need of a great Savior. This is the way of salvation. It's not our experience that sets us free. It's the truth that sets us free. The truth of God's Word. If the Son shall make thee free, you shall be free indeed. It's not our experience that sets us free. It's Christ who is the truth that sets us free. This is vital. It's Jesus who gives life. It's not our experiences that give life. I'm kicking against the deception in our churches. You, you want to know how Satan can be subtle? By causing us to believe our experiences are our salvation more than Christ. The Bible only presents one way of becoming God's child. It's through the new birth. Being confronted with the written word of God regarding our sin and our need for Christ. So any testimony that emphasizes experience more than Jesus Christ is seriously deficient of what true salvation consists of. And with this, it's important to understand, listen, God's common grace is not the same thing as God's saving grace. Write that down. God's common grace is not the same thing as God's saving grace. So someone says, well, I was lost in the backside of the desert. I was hiking in Joshua Tree National Park, and I, I didn't know my way back to my car, so I prayed, and God led me back to my car. Therefore, I'm Christian. Is not a sufficient testimony of conversion. Well, I was just sick. I was really sick. I was at the point of death, and I was healed. I got better. Therefore, I'm Christian. Well, I lost my job. God helped me to get a new job. Therefore, I'm Christian. That's not a sufficient testimony. Listen now. Listen. 
God is gracious. God is merciful. God allows the rain to fall and the sun to shine on the just and the unjust. But God's common grace is not the same thing as God's saving grace. Hitler experienced God's common grace, but he wasn't a Christian. So the question we need to ask, those who claim to be Christian, who have had various experiences is, did your experience cause you to love the biblical Jesus? Notice I said the biblical Jesus. Did your experience lead you to see your personal guilt before God? Did it lead you to cry out to God in desperation, asking Him to have mercy on your soul? Did it lead you to abandon all hope of trying to save yourself? Did it lead you to see your personal need to receive Jesus as your Savior? Did it lead you to cherish the old rugged cross? Did it lead you to cherish the written Word of God? It's vital that we test all of our feelings, all of our experiences by the written Word of God, even those of us who've experienced more conservative things. So listen, our experiences may not be as extreme or mystical, but nevertheless, we need to test it by God's written Word. Let me tell you what I mean. I'm almost done. Some in this room would declare that they've experienced growing up in a Christian home. They've experienced learning the Bible from their parents or grandparents. They've experienced answer to prayer. They've experienced going to church every Sunday when they were young. They experienced being convicted at a crusade or a revival service. They walked an aisle. They repeated a prayer. They experienced going to camp and crying after the message. And they rededicated their life summer after summer after summer. Some of you experience being baptized, being confirmed, going to catechism class, going to the confessional booth, doing all that you can to keep yourself moral. So what I'm saying is, even in the more conservative experiences, you must allow God's Word to speak to your experiences to see whether or not you've been truly born again. The Bible way. Why? Because the devil is going to do all that he can to make you trust your tradition, your morality, your experiences more than Christ. If your salvation experience does not match what God's Word says, you must not consider yourself to be Christian. I don't care how much you feel a certain feeling. This is exactly what Jesus is referencing in Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven but he that doeth the will of my Father. Many, catch it, many, will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name have cast out devils. In thy name have done many wonderful works. Then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Does this speak of experience? Yes. In fact, it speaks of so-called Christian experience. Those Jesus speaks about preached in his name. They casted out demons in His name. They did many wonderful works in His name, but they are forever lost. Why? Because they trusted in their religious experience more than the biblical gospel. They thought they were truly Christian, but they would not. They would not let God's Word penetrate into their heart to see if they are truly in Christ or not. 
They went on assuming that they were right with God. And to their own dismay, they got the wages of their sin, which is death. So what I'm asking you this morning is, when, if ever, were you confronted with the written word of God? When, if ever, were you shown the ugliness of your heart? When, if ever, did you believe that Jesus died on the cross and resurrected the third day to save your soul? When, if ever, did God bring a radical change to your life? If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, old things are become new. Well, I don't believe that. My experience was different. Really? That's exactly what I'm talking about. Oh, you live 40 years in rebellion, and your experience trumps God's word. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, if you're a drunkard, if you live in immorality habitually, do not think you're deceived. You are deceived. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. Oh, but my experience trumps that. When did Christ become your life? That's what I'm asking. I didn't ask, when did you start praying? I didn't ask, when did you start going to church? I'm asking, when did God convict you? When did God convince you? When did God convert you? If you don't have these three together working, you're not saved. When did he convict you? That's what the Holy Spirit's job is, to convict of sin, righteousness, judgment to come. When did he convict you that you are a great sinner? When did he convince you then that Jesus is the only way of salvation? And then when in that did he convert you? That's what I'm asking. The only true way for us to know if we are truly in Christ is by making sure that our experience lines up with the fruits of conversion that are in the written word of God. Now, we all have different experiences that will lead us to that point, but all of us should have a similar testimony that explains this is us before Christ, this is what Christ did for me at the moment of my conversion, and this is what I've been by his grace after my conversion. Paul gives his testimony twice using those same exact elements. So it's not enough. It's not enough to say, I think, I feel, I believe. We must say, God's word says, therefore it is true. And I have to do this with my own heart. When doubts come, was I truly in Christ? Well, I look back to my experience. I've had two experiences. I prayed a prayer when I was young. Thought I was good. That's what everybody else was doing. My dad wanted me to become a Christian. Well, I'll just get this done. I'll check off the box. When I look back and I cannot see the fruit of repentance, a love for Christ. Then I was confronted with my sin again before my 17th birthday at a church camp. And I could take God's word and look at that instance and see that's when God truly saved me. I got to put my own experiences to the test. This is the only way we are going to know if we're truly in Christ. And listen, we don't speak experience to experience. We speak God's word to experience. Listen, evangelists, listen, soul winners, those of you who are urging people to come to Christ, and you're talking to people, you don't say, well, your experience seemed legit because I experienced the same thing. Well, I experienced, I felt, I had this happen to me, therefore it's true. No, no, you're not authoritative. In your hearing, in your listening, in your helping others, does it match what the Bible says? Experiences are subjective. God's word 
is objective. 